Hello, and welcome to the Dairy Defined podcast. Challenges at U.S. ports and their impact on agricultural exports were center stage at the National Press Club last week, thanks to a webinar sponsored by the National Milk Producers Federation, the U.S. Dairy Export Council, and AgriPulse. Krista Harden, president and CEO of USDEC, moderated one of two panels featuring top agricultural, policy, transportation, and dairy leaders. Speaking on her panel, a lightly edited version of which we bring you today, is USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack, John Perkari, the Biden administration's supply chain ports envoy, Representatives John Garamendi, a Democrat of California, and Dusty Johnson, a Republican of South Dakota, who co-sponsored a bill to encourage smoother shipment of agricultural exports that's passed the House of Representatives. We join the panel at Hardin's introduction. I'm here. I'm going to give very, very brief introductions because I know that we want to get right to the topics of the day. So we're going to talk about some solutions. Um, it's my pleasure and honor to introduce Secretary Vilsack, but I have worked for him directly in four different positions. <laughs> So I know he does not want an introduction, and I also know he really does not need one. So I'll just say welcome and thank you, sir. One thing I will say about you and all my positions, you're not about identifying the problem, you're about finding solutions and answers. Thank you. And I think that just sums it up on why you're here today, and we look forward to hearing from you. Next to him is um, John Bakari. We're so excited that you're with us, Mr. Bakari. He is the Port, Port Envoy for the Biden-Harris administration on supply chain disruptions. And it's a task force that you're leading, I believe. Thank you for that. He is a former deputy of the Department of Transportation, so he's very well prepared for these kinds of issues. And we're very honored and appreciate you taking the time to be here in person, so thank you. Um, and joined um, virtually by two very important members of Congress who've been really good friends to agriculture and have really taking the issues that have been discussed already. We're going to dig even deeper into, um, so we really appreciate them both taking their time today. John Giramondi from California's 3rd District. He's on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. Thank you, sir. And we're also joined by Congressman um, Dusty Johnson of South Dakota, um, a recognized leader on rural issues and um, a member of the Ag Committee. They came together in a bipartisan way introduced, um, let me get the exact name of this, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2021, bipartisan legislation. Um, really appreciate the efforts that both of you have made um, to look for solutions to some of the issues we're talking about. So um, with that, that's our panel. We're excited to have everyone and appreciate their time. With that, Mr. Secretary, I'm gonna let you start and um, give us a little overview of what you're up to. Well, uh, Krista, thanks very much. And this is an, John, this is a very important meeting because for all these years I thought I was working for Krista. So now I find out that uh, it's not the, it's the other way around. So it's great to be with her and appreciate her leadership of the uh, U.S. Dairy Export Council. And John, let me just say in front of all these folks, really appreciate uh, the work that you're doing on a very difficult set of issues with reference to our ports. You have been incredibly available whenever I've uh, had to call a moment's notice uh, and really appreciate the partnership. Uh, with what we're going to announce today. So really, thank you very much for your leadership. And to the two members of Congress, thank you very much for putting the spotlight on this issue uh, with your uh, Ocean Shipping Reform Act. I think it really does crystallize uh, the important role that we need to play as policymakers 
uh, and I think you uh, recognize the problem and certainly appreciate your, your leadership and hope that uh, uh, this gets, uh, that's, gets a good hearing in, in Congress. Look, in December of uh, 2021, Secretary Buttigieg and I uh, sent a letter uh, to ocean carriers uh, who service the U.S., urging those ocean carriers uh, to help mitigate the disruption that was taking place uh, in agricultural exports uh, by restoring reciprocal treatment uh, of imports and exports and improving service. And I will say that uh, I see Michael Durkin is here today, and, and he has also taken an incredible leadership position uh, on this issue for the dairy industry and for agriculture generally. Um, and he, he essentially suggested there was a need for reciprocity, and uh, he's certainly right. Uh, we know that uh, few containers uh, are available. Uh, our, our agricultural companies are seeing uh, significant charges uh, assessed uh, to them, uh, incredibly high fees that they have to pay. Uh, and what, what pains them most of all, I think, is the fact that they see a lot of empty containers leaving our ports headed to markets uh, that should be filled with agricultural products. And, and, you know, this got to the point where in Oakland uh, there was a suspension of activity on the part of many of these carriers, and that's the reason why Secretary Buttigieg and I sent the letter. It's important to agriculture because at any given year, 20 to 30 percent of what we grow and raise in this country is exported. And it absolutely impacts and affects the bottom line of agriculture, uh, of producers. Uh, in most cases, it's 20 uh, or in some cases, more than 20% of the net income that is experienced by farmers, ranchers, and producers. And certainly there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of jobs that are connected directly to agricultural exports. Uh, and so it's important for us to resolve uh, the, the disruptions that are occurring. Um, we identified early in the administration resources under the Commodity Credit Corporation, which we felt could justifiably be used to try to address some of the issues, especially as it relates to empty containers. Uh, and so today we're announcing a partnership uh, with John Bakari's assistance and help, uh, as well as Secretary Buttigieg's help at the Department of Transportation, a partnership between the USDA, the Department of Transportation, uh, the Port Envoy, and the Port of Oakland. And the goal of this is essentially to get uh, a quicker pickup of empty containers, uh, provide access uh, so those containers can be filled with agricultural products, avoid the congestion that often occurs in the ports, and hopefully avoid surcharges and additional fees, and in fact, hopefully see many of those empty containers filled with agricultural products. Here's how it's going to work. Uh, the Port of Oakland is going to make available a 25-acre site uh, where ag companies can use this site to fill empty uh, containers with American agricultural uh, commodities. We hope to have this operational uh, as soon as early March. Uh, USDA is going to pay 60% of the cost of the startup of this particular uh, effort. Uh, the Port of Oakland will provide the space. Uh, containers will be made available to ag companies and cooperatives. Uh, they will fill them up with commodities. There will be a dedicated gate uh, with the ability to pre-cool reefer containers so that uh, perishable items can be placed in these containers. The Department of Agriculture will also provide uh, the, uh, the shippers a subsidize uh, for each container of $125 per container uh, to basically uh, offset some of the logistic costs of moving uh, containers here and there. We believe that the combination of the uh, assistance, the subsidy, and the assistance of this uh, location 
will help us see an expanded export of nuts, uh, dairy, uh, wine, meat, hay, tomatoes, uh, citrus, rice, uh, and soybeans and other agricultural products, particularly those uh, that are uh, being produced on the West Coast. We're excited about this, and we think it will service Asian markets. Seven out of the 10 top markets for agri American agriculture are in Asia. So it's incredibly important that we do this. One final comment. Here's why it's important to companies like uh, Loprino Cheese. They have established over the course of many, many years, as have all of American uh, commodity groups, the ability to deliver safe, available, uh, ample supply of American products in these Asian markets on a very predictable and reliable basis. And when there is this dis disruption that they're currently facing, it makes it more difficult for them to maintain that market reputation. And with that market reputation, you also risk the loss of market share. And once you lose market share in these competitive uh, circumstances, it is very difficult to get it back. So it's important for us to start this pilot effort in the Port of Oakland. The hope and the goal is that we're able to expand this opportunity in other ports along the coast, uh, in the hope that eventually we see a, a more free-flowing uh, effort on, uh, on the export side. A lot of attention in this port issue has been paid to imports, and rightfully so. But with this announcement, we hope to be able to make sure that people understand this isn't just an import issue, it's also an export issue. Uh, and the Department of Agriculture wants to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. So thank you, Christine. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. That's very exciting. I know there will be questions with, from our audiences, both in the room and um, online, about the details. But that's exciting. That is positive. Mr. Porcari, um, thank you so much for leading this task force, for being a part of this. As the Secretary said, you've been so available um, to all of us to talk about these issues. We'd love some, some comments from you as well. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure, and uh, thank you all for having me here today. Uh, this is one group I don't need to tell about uh, the glo global di dislocations in the supply chains. You're living it every day. And as Secretary Vilsack said, while the focus is often on imports, on uh, products coming to America, we need to have an equal focus on exports as well. They're crucial to our economy. And we've been focused like a laser, uh, all of us, on agricultural exports since these supply chain disruptions began. Uh, as you all know, we're the world's largest agricultural exporter. Uh, we had a record year, looking forward to another record year, uh, but uh, there's much more that we can do. At the same time, uh, as we had this record year, California ports had a 9% drop in containerized agricultural exports between May and September of 2021. Uh, and that 9% average was a 15% drop at the Port of Long Beach, an 18% drop at the Port of Los Angeles, and a staggering 34% drop at the Port of Oakland. Uh, and as you all know, Oakland's historically been one of our nation's strongest agricultural exporting ports. Uh, that translates into $2.1 billion in lost California agricultural exports over the same time period uh, from the state of California alone. Uh, it's had a nationwide impact as well, obviously. So why is this happening? Uh, one, uh, because of the economics of containers right now. Uh, exporting an empty container is simply uh, more valuable to ocean carriers than a container filled with agricultural products right now. now the, the price of a filled export container 
is, went from $650 to $1,000 over the last year. While going the other way, the price of a container uh, for import went from $4,300 to $13,600. So you can see uh, the driving economics that are working against U.S. agricultural exports. Uh, the, the second reason uh, is the record-setting volumes in container traffic uh, that the pandemic brought. Uh, we uh, shifted our spending from restaurants and theaters to buying goods and imported goods for the most part. That means uh, an unprecedented shortage of chassis, containers, truckers, uh, and the entire ecosystem uh, that, that serves trade. The third reason, and Secretary Vilsack mentioned this, is the loss of ocean carrier service. They're concentrating on fewer ports uh, and the most lucrative service. That's particularly acute at the Port of Oakland, which lost some Far East and Southeast Asian service uh, that we hope to bring back. So we're attacking the problem from both ends, uh, finding ways to incentivize and streamline agricultural exports and working with these ocean carriers to restore service. So the announcement that you heard today for the Port of Oakland uh, is only one part of a multi-pronged strategy. Uh, think of it as first firing a warning shot across the bow of ocean carriers uh, that we are watching uh, and, uh, and responding uh, on agricultural exports. It's important to our nation. Promotion of U.S. exports is a core part of the Federal Maritime Commission's mission, uh, and, and we urge the Federal Maritime Commission uh, to honor that. Restoring critical Southeast Asian and Far East service in general is, uh, at ports uh, like Oakland, uh, is important as well. So that's another part of the strategy. Uh, the partnership that brought this deal here today is not done. Now we need to work on making sure the service is there for the U.S. Uh, agricultural needs. Uh, one of the ways that we're doing that around the country is establishing pop-up sites. Uh, this one in Oakland. We've previously announced uh, uh, multiple sites in Georgia. More to follow. These help both imports and exports. And for agricultural exports, some of these pop-up sites in Georgia, for example, are hundreds of miles uh, closer to the point of origin, making it that much easier uh, to export the goods. So uh, we'll continue to build fluidity at the ports uh, so that exports aren't disadvantaged. Uh, we'll emphasize uh, rail use as part of uh, the way that we can do that. And then finally, I would just mention that uh, in the unprecedented uh, port funding that comes with the bipartisan infrastructure law, uh, the Port Infrastructure Development Program grants uh, are going to be enabling and encouraging U.S. exports as part of that infrastructure strategy. So we're working this multi-pronged strategy in the short term through daily operational work and in the long term through a port action plan uh, that uh, President Biden and the National Economic Council have previously rolled out. We'll have better data, state freight plans that support the kind of infrastructure projects that help us export, and looking at uh, exporting is a system of systems and making sure that every weak link in that system is worked on. Thanks. That's great. Thank you. Very, very good, positive news. Congressman Garamendi, we'd love to hear from you. I'll be delighted to uh, comment. Mr. Secretary and Mr. Bakari, thank you so very much. Appreciate your presentation. Uh, particularly, uh, Mr. Bakari, we've worked uh, almost 12 years together on the various maritime issues. And so uh, thank you for your knowledge and your uh, expertise on it. Bottom line is, gentlemen, all that you're doing isn't going to solve the problem. The problem is 
the shippers, the ocean carriers, simply do not understand the word reciprocity. They don't understand that this is a two-way street, in and out. And until they get that message, all of the good things that you're doing is simply not going to solve the problem. The economics are going to drive those ocean carriers to do exactly what they're doing until there is a law that says you can't do it. If you're bringing a container full into the United States, then you're going to take a container out that is also full. Otherwise, you're not coming. And for the Port of Oakland, good luck. There's a reason that those carriers are not in the Port of Oakland today. They're not there because they can make more money sitting outside the ports of LA and Long Beach waiting for an empty container that they can then put on their ship back to the west, back to the Western Pacific. There ought to be a law. And by God, we're going to get a law. And we're going to get something in place that provides the necessary tools so that you two gentlemen and others that follow in your footsteps will have the power to make right in this economic situation. There's one thing that our bill doesn't do, and I surely hope that a bill is introduced and hearings take place, and that is to remove the uh, exemption from all of the antitrust laws that the ocean shippers presently have. Now, I'm going to turn this over to my colleagues who I've had the great pleasure of working with, and he's going to lay on you what the bill does and how it will work. So, Dusty, I don't know if you, I know you're always prepared, so have at it. <laughs> Uh, it has been a pleasure to work with John Garamendi, uh, and I think in part because he and I both realized that uh, this is not a Republican problem or a Democrat problem. It's an American problem. Uh, I thought the secretary and Mr. Picari did a very good job of laying out the complexities, as well as some of the things that they've been working on to make this better. And to me, it, it, it's really a three-prong issue. I mean, number one, we do need investments in the ports. And uh, even members of Congress who didn't vote for the, the bipartisan infrastructure package for one provision or another, I think, really celebrate this investment in the port. So that's number one. Number two, uh, we have, I think, operational adjustments that are being made. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I'm really excited about these pop-up staging areas. And I, I'm even more excited as you talk about, if it works, expanding this. But you know what? Number three is, as exactly as John Garamendi suggested, <laughs> We do need regulatory reform uh, because right now the interests of the uh, ocean carriers are not particularly well aligned to uh, the interests of American shippers. And so John's right. We do need OSRA uh, 2021. Uh, what does it do? Well, at its heart, it, it does demand reciprocity. It does set minimum service standards. It does make it clear that the burden for approving detention and demerge fees are appropriate are going to be on the carriers that uh, impose them. And I think collectively, these will give the FMC the tools that they need uh, to make this system work better, to make it more efficient and more effective. Now, I'm going to put a pin in all that. And, and I just want to say, because uh, I've talked about how many, I mean, we passed OSRA out of the house. We've got the pop-up staging area coming. We've got investments being made in the port. I think we're only about 40% of the way there. We cannot take our foot off the pedal. We have to make sure that we continue to push these things forward. I was talking to the, the dried bean and lentil folks. They told me that still they have 30 or 40% of their uh, shipments being canceled. Uh, that's a new number. That, that is not something from two or five months ago. So we still have a very real problem. And I just want to humbly, uh, by way of a closing offer in those three areas, those three prongs I mentioned, things that I think we can do 
uh, to uh, close the gap between where we're at and where we need to be. Uh, number one, uh, with regard to these capital expenses, I think we wanna make sure that as the administration puts out dollars, that they are focused like a laser on improving efficiency and effectiveness and that we don't get distracted by other agendas and what these dollars can do to maybe further those agendas. Efficiency and effectiveness, number one. Second prong, uh, operational adjustments. Trucking was talked about a lot in the last panel, and I do think February 7th is not the right date uh, to have these new training requirements come into the American trucking industry. I think we should have a, a, a we should have a short-term stay so that we can start to, uh, or not start, but we can make sure that uh, we aren't imposing a new barrier on American truck drivers during this supply chain crunch. And the number three, Garamendi and Johnson have gotten Ozra through the house. Let's get it through the Senate. I'm excited for uh, Thune and Klobuchar. They have been talking publicly about doing something. They're building momentum on their side. I think their text is gonna be a little different than ours. I would tell you John and Dusty have the stew exactly right because we've worked with so many in industry uh, to get it right. Uh, but you know, listen, we'll try to bring the Senate around to our perfect way of thinking, but their, their action is, is welcome. A lot of ideas out there. Mr. Picari, anything you want to react to as we look at the ocean carriers? We know they were record profits last year. We know this is a very sensitive situation. Any thoughts um, on some of the issues that were raised by the Congressman? Well, first, the principle of reciprocity is very important. Uh, we are an exporting nation, uh, and uh, it is clear from the data and from the evidence that agricultural exports uh, are being disadvantaged right now. That's unacceptable. So uh, we, we, we do need to move forward. Uh, I would point out that data is maybe one of the unspoken parts of this. The more transparent data we have for every part of the goods movement chain, uh, the better off we are in terms of being able to fix it. Uh, uh, this is an industry that traditionally doesn't share data very much, in direct contrast to, say, the airline industry. Uh, and uh, all, of, all of us would benefit uh, by that data sharing. It would be a more efficient industry, and we'd be able to see around corners a little bit and anticipate the next uh, economic shock, uh, respond to the next natural disaster, all the kinds of things that you know happen to global trade would benefit from more transparent information that is closely guarded and proprietary right now. If, if I might uh, insert something here. Please. Uh, this is John Garamendi. Who owns those ocean carriers? I think we know, don't we, Mr. Picari? Could you lay out the ownership of the five largest that control some 70, 80% of the traffic? Yes, Congressman. So the, the short answer is none of them are American. Uh, so 2% of the uh, global shipping market uh, is U.S. flag okay. vessels. Uh, it's France, uh, Italy, uh, Nordic countries, China. No, no. Um, it's well, wait a minute. Let's, let's get right to the heart of it. China, Taiwan, Korea. To the West Coast ports, those are the three big shippers. And then Merce could be the fourth or the fifth. Is that correct? That's correct. That is correct. Yes, it is correct. My point is this. This is an international trade issue of extraordinary importance to my district, to Dusty's district, and to America. So is the administration putting any pressure on those countries who own or control those shipping lines to make this right for American shippers? Uh, my question to both of you. Two points on that. Uh, uh, first, 
uh, we've been working directly with those ocean carriers at the C-suite level and to make clear what the nation's objectives are. And two, uh, yes, the Department of State has actually been uh, a critical part uh, among other agencies of this discussion. And so we've seen over that period of time that they've been involved, they changed from 40% empty to 70% empty returning to the Western Pacific. Not very effective work. Mr. Secretary, you want to make some comments to that? Well, there are a couple of things I'd like to respond to the Congressman on. Number one, Congressman, uh, there, there's not any uh, effort here to suggest that what we're proposing with this pop-up is the, the only solution. But I will tell you that it's an important first step. Uh, and I don't think it should be diminished uh, in terms of our ability to try to figure out ways in which we can encourage uh, folks to, uh, to understand and appreciate the necessity of, of dealing with this. Number two, we are seeing some of the shippers coming back to the Port of Oakland by virtue of the letter that was sent by Secretary Buttigieg and myself. I think there are now three uh, significant ones that have returned to that port. So I think there is an opportunity there for partnership. Number three, we hope, and we began the conversations with the Port of LA and the Port of Long Beach, that they see the opportunity as well, and we are open uh, to working collectively with them to try to address this issue from the perspective of the USDA. So, I mean, there is an ongoing effort here. Uh, and, you know, under the circumstances, given that ongoing effort, we're doing this with limited resources from a standpoint of personnel at the Department of Agriculture, in part, Congressman, because we're operating on a continuing resolution. We don't have a budget yet. So <laughs> you can put pressure on us. I'm going to put pressure right back on you guys. <laughs> Give me a budget. Fair, Give me some people. Fair enough. Krista, can I fair double enough. down on something Mr. Picari said, Krista? Yes, sir, you certainly can. Yeah, I mean, you know, he talked about when we're when our shippers are not able to deliver these agricultural products, it endangers uh, continued market access. And he is exactly right. And that that's what I'm hearing from ag producers. You know, they've got their international partners who are wondering, can we rely on America? And they've been able to rely on us decade in and decade out. We've expanded some of those markets and because in part because of the big investment that USDA uh, Secretary Vilsack and his predecessors have made in helping folks establish these international markets. We cannot afford to throw that investment away. Some of them, as I'm sure you all know, are turning toward air freight to try to deliver a product on time. That is not sustainable. These markets are at risk, which is why we've got to close the gap from the 40% that I think we're at to the 100% that's going to deliver us a, a full solution. Thank you. Well yeah, said. It, it, if I may, the consistency and predictability part, uh, just to build on that, this is not just a West Coast issue. It is most acute in the West Coast ports, uh, but we are seeing and hearing the same thing on the East Coast and the Gulf Coast. The Port of Houston, uh, with agricultural uh, products, just recently went through uh, some, some of the same difficulties. And I would point out there are also industry best practices that can actually help uh, build consistency and predictability, like uh, windows for, for delivering containers that stay fixed and don't change. Uh, the, the Port of Savannah is doing that now. Uh, two of the ocean carriers have agreed uh, to do that. That alone gives the agricultural exporters uh, a, a more certain window for exports that doesn't change on a daily basis. Those are the kinds of operational changes that we can make in the short term. In the longer term, we simply have to build more capacity and we need a more level playing field. No question about it. Thank you. So I think we have a question from the audience. Sean is going to share that with us. 
Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, one of the questions actually touched on the point Mr. Porcari just made at the end, the, the impact that vessel schedule changes have and, and whether anything could be done about that. Um, there were several, though, on whether the U.S. would consider adjusting uh, truck weights uh, to higher so that containers could be loaded with more weight in them, uh, pointing out that some of the competitors are allowed to load higher in their markets. Thanks. Uh, sure. Uh, the, it's a real issue, and again, a short-term uh, issue today for agricultural exporters that veal, the vessel sailing schedules uh, are changing dramatically. Um, trade lanes are changing. They're changing the ports that they serve. Uh, in, even when you know that service is coming to a specific port, bringing it to a destination you're trying to get to, you don't have a window that you can respond, uh, uh, a predictable window that you can respond in. So that's the, uh, th that's the uh, uh, first part of it. Um, on, on truck size and weight, uh, as you know, outside of the use of the Stafford Act uh, and other uh, emergency powers, the uh, truck size and weight uh, are established at the state level um, with federal oversight. Um, if there are, uh, it's an ongoing discussion with the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration uh, as, as to what and when uh, would make sense. But I know those discussions are going on right now uh, on uh, uh, truck size and weight. I would point out this is a perennial issue. This is not just uh, a short-term issue uh, related to um, uh, the difficulties in exporting right now. The, the larger issue has to be tackled in part through infrastructure that can accommodate the larger weight. That, as a former governor, that's really a big issue. That's one of the reasons why the states have so much authority over this is because they're the ones who have to repair the roads when they're damaged. I'd also say there's also an interesting issue with reference to the bipartisan infrastructure bill. As you repair bridges, you can strengthen those bridges to actually handle more weight. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's part of what the Department of Transportation is looking at for the long term in terms of greater resilience and greater, greater efficiency in our transportation system. Very good, thank you. Is there a question in the room? Um, a question for a couple of the, the lawmakers, uh, Congressman Garamendi, Congressman uh, Miller. Uh, Johnson. I, my best friend in college, his name was Dusty Miller. You have to forgive me. I always do that when you're, <laughs> anyway, Congressman Dusty Johnson. Um, you, were, you were both very diplomatic when it came to the Senate version of the bill. Um, uh, Congressman Johnson, you said we're hoping to bring them to our way of thinking. Now, I'm assuming you're talking about the empties provision in your bill is very specific wording that says these carriers cannot just cancel the bookings and send back empties. Um, how concerned are you that the Senate version does not have that? I understand it addresses it, but doesn't have that as point. Is this something that you're willing to take up in uh, 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 negotiations afterwards? I, I, how important is that? I think it is quite important. And, you know, listen, you get, a lot of you guys have more involvement on the Hill than I have. You know, I get it. The House is not going to get everything the House wants in its bill. I mean, I, I hope we're headed to conference. I hope the Senate passes their version quickly, expeditiously. And in conference, they're going to get some of what they want. We're going to get some of what we want. But, but I do think that overwhelmingly the stakeholder community is comfortable with the Garamendi-Johnson language. 
I think they have reviewed it. I think they have vetted it. I think they believe that it does the best job of balancing these interests. And so you're right about the empties, but it's not just the empties. It's also about you know minimum uh, standards for service that I think are critically important. In general, uh, I think the Senate language will do a lot more to provide FMC rulemaking authority to fill in some of these gaps. But I'm a big believer in, in that you know Congress should not kick too many things to the administration. Let's come together and say with a strong clarion voice what the minimum standards are. What, do, what does reciprocity mean? What does being a common carrier mean? If you're going to use an American port, what does that mean to the United States Congress with regard to what, how you're going to step up? And I think we should be able to get to a point uh, in conference or some other legislative mechanism where we put a little bit more meat on that bone than, than perhaps the Senate version uh, intends to. John, am I getting that right? Uh, yes, you got it exactly right. Uh, and I won't add to it. We'll get on to the next question. Right. Thank you so much. John, do you have one more from Sure. Yeah, online. we have several online. So however many you'd like, Krista. Um, there's a question about the fact that although the 24-7 operations of the ports is certainly welcome, that there's a number of other bottlenecks and whether there can be additional steps taken to make better use of that expansion of ours. It's a great question, and 24-7 uh, is a process, not a light switch. As much as we'd like to turn the entire supply chain into a 24-7 operation overnight, it, it is much more than the ports. Uh, it's, it's all the way through the middle mile with uh, the railroads uh, and trucking. Uh, it's the distribution centers, the fulfillment centers, uh, the warehouses. Uh, unless all of that uh, goods movement chain is activated 24-7, you only have limited uh, uh, impact on the port side doing it. What we're trying to do, quite frankly, is start with the leadership of the ports in Los Angeles and Long Beach who are committed to 24-7 operations uh, and working with some of the major cargo owners that can actually pull cargo and, and, and deliver cargo off-peak. And, and through those commitments, those continuing commitments and building on those commitments uh, to drive more off-peak use. Uh, that's where the capacity is for the entire goods movement chain uh, in, the, in the short term. Uh, and uh, if you look at U.S. ports in particular and the goods movement chain in general compared to the rest of the world, uh, it is underutilized capacity compared to how our competitor nations actually operate. Thank you. Uh, we don't have a lot of time. Believe it or not, we're, kinda, we're running out. I wanted to make sure that I did ask this question. Let's start with you, Mr. Secretary, and maybe others can join in. A lot of interest here today, a lot of passion on this topic. Over 1,200 um, participants, I think, on the phone. But still, the main news story, most of the focus is on imports. What can we do in agriculture? What can we do as an industry collectively through the supply chain to continue to raise this issue and help everyone understand? We know you do, Mr. Baccaro. We know you do. We know the congressmen do understand. But to raise the um, awareness the interest on exports. People don't think about the U.S. being such an export country, but we are, we certainly are in agriculture. What can we do? How do we own this? How do we raise the attention? Well, I think there, there, there are a couple of things. Number one, I think you have to make sure that the jobs aspect of this issue is, is underscored. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, working in companies do not understand and appreciate that what they're doing is actually gonna end up someplace outside the United States. And I think it's important incumbent upon policymakers, myself, uh, the members of Congress, John, members of the industry, uh, industry leaders, to make sure that people understand who are working 
that their job is connected to exports. Number two, uh, this is a, a little far afield from the response that you may anticipate, but I think it's really important for us to build a sense of trust in the trading relationship that we have with other countries. I think the unfortunate circumstance is when you talk about exports, people think of trade. When they think of trade, they've been encouraged to think that we're getting the short end of the stick on trade agreements, and that puts them in a negative standpoint from an export perspective. So I think it's important for us to, to rebuild a sense of trust in trading relationships. Now, how do you do that? Well, you do it by enforcing trade agreements. Uh, the recent action in dairy uh, with Canada was uh, an effort. Uh, the recent efforts to try to give uh, our Chinese friends the opportunity to live up to their phase one responsibility by purchasing another $17 billion above and beyond what they have to purchase uh, so that they make good on their phase one is another mechanism. Uh, working to reduce trade barriers recently with uh, India, uh, uh, pork opportunities in India, uh, Vietnam, lowering tariffs, making a whole series of, of products more available in that important market. So rebuilding trust. Uh, so I think if we educate people about the economic impact of exports, and then the final thing I would say is uh, there needs to be an, uh, an understanding uh, that it's also a way of branding the United States, uh, of being able to show uh, th that we are capable of producing quality products, safe products, safe food products. Uh, that is a brand that uh, I think we want to continue to, to, uh, to impress upon folks here in this country. Great answer. Mr. Okay, do you have anything to add to that? It's tough to add anything uh, to what the <laughs> Secretary said, uh, but I would just point out that uh, in a very positive way, the agriculture export industry has been punching above its weight in this discussion, has been very vocal. Uh, it's important that you continue to do that. Uh, we've been an agricultural exporting nation since the founding of the Republic, uh, and uh, some of us in our day-to-day -day lives may not have that connection anymore. Um, working. Uh, uh, through the media and, and other ways to get the word out uh, that, that it's a vital part of our economy that is linked to uh, jobs all over America um, and that U.S. exports and trade around the world is a critical part uh, of our relationship with the rest of the world is an important message all the way across the board. Thank you so much. Either one of the congressmen, do you have anything to add to, to the comments? I do, but I, John, you can first bite. Thank you, Dusty. Um, First of all, Mr. Secretary and Mr. Picari, thank you so very much for uh, your efforts on all of this. Uh, this issue is here and now. Uh, I know Dusty has received calls from his uh, agricultural exporters, and I have, and they're going to lose their markets, as Dusty explained early on. The Port of Oakland's uh, program is very, very good, but it won't be worth a hoot unless there is a ship that will take those containers from that 25-acre site and push the, and put those containers on. I think we need to use every lever available, and that is putting pressure on those ocean shipping companies and say, folks, if you want access, you're going to have to not continue this 70% empty going back to the West. You're going to have to 50%, 40%, whatever the number is. Otherwise, you're not going to come here, or you're going to be at the back of the line waiting to get into the port. There's a lot of levers here. The law that we're proposing will help, but this is here and now. I know a half a dozen farmers and shippers in my district that may very well not, supply, not survive this year because they cannot get their products on a ship and they will lose their markets as was discussed earlier. So let's get with it. Let's use every power we have 
let's twist arms, do whatever necessary to get those folks into the Port of Oakland to pick up those uh, containers. And by the way, 30 days from now isn't going to suffice for at least one major agricultural shipper in this state. Dusty, I'm going to calm down. It's up to you. <laughs> Congressman Johnson. Uh, I think that's exceptionally well said. And I would just note that, Chris, you're right. People have a tendency to think about uh, imports into this country rather than exports. The thing that I love about OSTRA, uh, the bill that John and I have, is that although it really does make the whole system more efficient and in that way it, it helps imports, but it would really most directly and most quickly help American exports, both manufactured goods as well as agricultural goods. And so I would close by saying this, if I had to have our country do three things in the short term to make sure that American exports were getting uh, the attention they deserved, it would be uh, pass OSRA, pass OSRA, and pass OSRA. <laughs> Very good. Nice ending comments. So we're getting the flash now. I think we're out of time. And I asked Sarah Wyant to come up and give us our, our final comments if our panelists will just wait and let Sarah send us off. Well, thank you, Krista, and thanks to all of you who have served on this panel today, uh, not only the earlier panel, but Secretary Vilsack, Mr. Picari, uh, Congressman Garamendi, and Congressman Johnson, thank you so much for all of your input. I think it's very clear to all of us who have been listening, uh, both online and in the room, that there is a lot of passion around this issue, uh, also a lot of frustration but we heard some solutions, some things that are moving forward and some additional asks and ways that we can continue to work collectively in American agriculture to try to find more ways to ease the supply chain congestion, the disruptions, and also to get ag exports moving in the way that we know that they can happen and can get moving to our very precious international customers and so that they can make sure that U.S. agriculture is always considered to be a reliable supplier. That's it for today's podcast. For more on NMPF's policy priorities, visit nmpf.org. And you can find this podcast online at nmpf.org or subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music under the podcast name, Dairy Defined. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>